0: You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. So we are in this series of a season of growth. Last week, Tom spoke to us about um, growing in faith. Today, we're really focusing on growing in community. What is authentic Christian community? There's a very real thing to be aware of as we look at growing in Christian community, and that is that we have a very real enemy. Jesus himself spoke about the enemy as if uh, he is a lion, saying he's um, he's like a lion prowling around seeking those who he can devour. Jesus has said, um, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you may have life and life in abundance." See, Jesus has created this community that we've just seen in the video that is a community of life, a community of abundance. And it's just worth recognizing from the offset that we have an enemy who hates Christian community and will do anything he can to compromise it, but also is very happy to have Christians that are content with weaker imitations of Christian community. Someone who may think, yeah, I am part of that community. I I go there on Sunday sometimes. Or maybe I'm in a life group, and the, and the enemy, Satan, is happy, saying, good, I'm glad that person thinks that they're in community. Uh, they won't be any trouble, because they're not really in the Christian community, but they don't even know it. Or you could think, I went to that person's birthday party. I really am part of the community. Well, today we're going to look at what is it to be an authentic Christian community. The thing that's happened to us is that as a body of believers, as we've seen in the video, we are united with the victorious Christ who has inaugurated a new man, a new society, a new community. We are gospel people. Not just that we have the good news to share with others, but that we live in light of the good news of Jesus. We are grounded in the gospel, and we are a gospel people. That is what brings us together. Look quickly at three things that um, define authentic Christian community. Number one, we are the people of God as I've just said, created by faith through the work of Christ's gospel. Christian community consists of those who have repented and believed and have a common experience of the gospel, the message of grace. This is what brings Christian community together in the first place. We can be tempted to take a weak imitation and think, well, if I'm together with people who have perhaps similar political ideals to me or... uh, Really, I'm with people who have the same moral principles or, you know, the similar backgrounds or are enthusiastic about similar styles and things. No, we are actually brought together very clearly through the work of Christ's gospel. Secondly, we're the body of Christ, those who are members of one another in his life. So it's his gospel. We're brought together in his life. Christian community consists of people who deliberately share life together we are adopted into the same household we're adopted into the same family with the same father so in that sense we come together as family in his life and thirdly we are the fellowship we are the fellowship of the spirit those who are a model of his future it's his gospel that we come under it's his life that we live in community of and it's his future that we model to the world What do I mean there? Well, a Christian spirit-filled community is an alternative society. Jesus has started a new birth, a new society, a new people that models distinctive ways to do everything in life. Distinct to the world. Everything that we do will be distinctly under God's fatherhood. The biblical metaphor for this where we're called to be a city on a hill. A city that the world can look to with visible behavior that shines out and shows the world the glory of God. And in the future, God will unite all things under the Lordship of Christ. That's what we mean when we're saying the Holy Spirit, the people of the fellowship of the Spirit, we're modeling the future that is his. In, one, uh, in Ephesians 1, Paul writes that the Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing that future restoration. So the community of the church is meant to model what that future society under Christ will look like. We're to model the transformation that the gospel makes to every area of life. That people will look and say, why do you do that? Why do you behave differently? You are are set apart. And that was God's God's plan from the beginning. To have a people set apart for himself. I will be their God. They will be my people. That the world would look on and say, there's a city on a hill that is different What is different? Well, I'll tell you, everything is different because a new life has been given to me in Christ. And that life is not for me to live as an individual. A new family has been given to me. A new body is what I'm part of. So becoming this type of community, it requires commitment and sacrifice. But we know that the commitment and sacrifice that we come under was Christ's commitment and his sacrifice. We're going to look at nine uh, one-anothering distillations, where, uh, helpfully, Tim Keller, who's an author, has, has brought together the 59 uh, one-anotherings in the New Testament and put them under headings, which are very helpful for us because uh, it brings them together in succinct ways. The first three look at what it is to be affirming one another how to be friends. So the first three about affirmation of each other, how to grow in friendship. Practice number one, affirming one another's strengths, abilities, and gifts. For instance, Romans 12 says, honor one another. It's great to, just to hear Matt just now, just, just saying thank you to the band. We want to be a community that grow in an honoring of one another. That's one way the world will look on us and say, you seem to always be praising one another. Yeah, we do. We really believe God has called us to praise and honor one another, to lift each other up. In a world where people say, hey, let's take that guy down a few pegs. He's a bit big-headed. I'm a bit worried he might get arrogant. Well, that's not who we are. We're called to be people who let God worry about that sort of thing. And we worry about lifting each other up and honoring one another. We want to be more concerned about praising, affirming, honoring, and celebrating others than we are about receiving that sort of stuff. It's very easy to be hungry for that, and that's okay. We want to be encouraged. We want to be honored. But a Christian community is where that's, that's, we're confident that's happening because we're more concerned that we are doing it. And therefore, we're seeing it happening, and we, we will be receiving it. Can I just give you a few questions to ask yourself in this? How can we be deliberate about this? Well... We can see, uh, what about where you see others' growth and their progress? Do you see people growing in the ability to handle problems, difficulties, and criticism? Do you see people growing in peace and joy and self-control? Let me encourage you, affirm them in that. Tell them, I see you really growing in this. I don't think you would have handled this as well a year ago or two years ago. You're doing so well. I just want to encourage you in that. And we can do these things things purposefully. In fact, we must be purposeful. This stuff doesn't just happen. We must be purposeful. And sometimes that takes a bit of getting over ourselves because we think, oh, I want that. Well, you start by pioneering it for others. Next question, what talents and gifts do other people have that benefit others? As I was just saying, it's great to thank the band and, and thank people and see the gifts and to let them know, I see this in you. For instance, people who are great at getting alongside other people and encouraging other people. People who are brilliant with kids' work. Do you thank the kids' workers when you go and pick up your kids at the end? And and specifically to say, hey, the way you are with these kids is great. Thank you to the the band for the way they lead us. Thank you to certain gifts that you see. And it doesn't have to be platform things, obviously. We are looking at just uh, simple things that we can encourage people to cultivate. Tell them how they're doing well. And what about sacrifices that you see people making where others maybe not, didn't even notice, but you just see a quiet sacrifice that someone made where they could have chosen an easier way, but they chose rather to honor God? Just say, well done. I just saw that because that's inspiring, really inspiring. And I, I want to say something that, that inspires me. And I just want to say, well done for making that choice when there may have been an easier choice that may not have honored God. Let's look at practice number two, affirming one another's equal importance in Christ. Romans fifteen seven says, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. So this is a mindset that holds to the new society in Christ and refuses, as we have just talked about, to be taken in by the world's definitions of things like status and power, pecking order and worth. As Paul's very clear, there's one new man in Christ. We're no longer uh, Jew and Gentile. We're no longer male and female. We're no longer slave and free. We are one new man in Christ. And we need to work at encouraging that and encouraging others to stand in that. We're deliberately called to build relationships with Christians across cultural barriers. There's a great illustration of this in Acts 8 and 9 where uh, Ananias Uh, Knows of this Saul of Tarsus who has a reputation for approving of Christians being killed. And probably Ananias has friends who he knows who have been killed under the hands of this Saul of Tarsus. And then Ananias gets this word from God that says, go to Saul. And, And in fear, but also in obedience to God. Ananias goes to Saul, who has had himself a revelation of God and put his trust in Jesus and repented of his ways. And Ananias goes to Saul and placing his hands on Saul, he says, Brother Saul, the Lord has sent me. Brother Saul. You know, surely in his flesh he could have thought, No way, am I ever going to welcome that man? That's horrendous. But he's not a man of the flesh, he's a man of the spirit. He's a man of new life. He's a man of the gospel. And now one new man in Christ. This man's now a brother. This man who was clearly an enemy is now a brother. So we need to be aware of this great example. The gospel destroys old ties. It it destroys identities and statuses of the world. And now that Saul believes in Christ, he's immediately Ananias' brother. Ananias is ultimately saying it doesn't matter who you were and what you've done because Because of Christ and his victory, we're now brothers. So that's what it is to be in a community where we affirm equality in Christ. Practice three is to affirm one another through visible affection. Romans 16.16, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now we tend to skim over this command to greet each other with a holy kiss. And we think, oh, there must have been some cultural thing. It's not what we do here. It's a repeated command quite often in the New Testament. But the thing is, even if we think this is not uh, really applicable in the same way at our time in Britain here, uh, maybe in other cultures, but not so much in ours, it it doesn't mean that we can remove our responsibility to obey the commands to communicate love and affection in a visible way. There's still a responsibility, there's still a right way to translate this. We can do this in a number of ways, but it must be done. Our love and affection is more than theoretical, and it's more than love at a distance. Just saying, yeah, I'll do that thing of of being in the same meeting as people from a different culture as mine, as we just said, that's that's not really it, is it? We're supposed to be just loving each other at a distance. No, we're called to be uh, visibly affectionate and loving to each other. We're not to be cold or harsh. We're not to be indifferent or stingy with one another. We must be open and even willing to talk, not just in a loving way, but about our love for one another. When's the last time you told someone in church, I love you? That's quite uncomfortable, isn't it? All the British people here just clenching up a bit now. I'm so grateful that my identity is not primarily British. British. I'm not British first. I'm in Christ first. And I need to let that subvert my Britishness. And I need to go and tell my brothers I love them. Give them a hug. And affirm people in that way. And there are many of you who are not British by descent. And this is quite natural to you. To give each others a hug. And to affirm and tell people you love them. Be quite generous with things that we are quite reserved with. And I want to say... That's the grace of God to us as a community. Please lead us. Please encourage us in those directions. Don't think, well, I would love to, but people here don't seem to do that. Let me tell you, you're the one in the right. Please encourage us to be affectionate and, and think. you might think, I'd love to make a cake for someone, but I just, that doesn't really happen here. Go for it. I'll have a cake. Okay. <laughs> um, should stop having cakes. <laughs> James 1.19, as we see on the screen, says, one of the easiest ways to practice and show warmth is to listen. Listen attentively to others rather than being quick to talk. Just listening is so helpful. It's such a blessing. Many of you will know, yeah, that is so helpful. When I'm struggling and there's someone who will just listen. If you know the story of Job in the Old Testament, who went through a horrendous time of uh, suffering... His friends came alongside him, and, and for the first period, they just sat and listened and wept with him. And they did really well at that point, up until when they started to open their mouths. And then they were a nuisance to him. They actually, The only thing they did well was when they came and just mourned with him. And it says here clearly, come and listen. Listening is empathizing and sympathizing, giving space. Listening is not just the quiet bit until you get your chance to speak. Listening is... Let, let, let somebody speak. Listen at a heart level. Try and understand what they're going through. That can really bless people in a visibly affectionate way. The next three practices are about sharing with one another. How to be family. How to be family. So practice number four. Sharing one another's space, goods, and time. Romans 12.10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. So this is about... Uh, the willingness to share one another's physical, material world with others, the way that family do, the way that family shares life with each other. Things like eating and studying, playing, praying, and so on. We do those things together in Christian community. We share space with each other. We're to invite each other into our lives. It's quite easy to to just uh, do the easy thing, to, to, to do what comes naturally, Rather than, that's going to be a step of vulnerability for me. But we're called to be vulnerable and welcome each other into our lives. Sharing each other's goods, the most practical ways, thinking about how we can help each other. Practical errands, giving financial gifts, providing for needs. I was just thinking, you know, we've experienced this again. I'm so grateful to be a part of a church where this is happening. But we all know we can grow in these things. We all know it can happen more. I'm so grateful to be in a church where people have invited me into their lives, but also have done things to serve me. We, we, um, we moved house a few years ago, and a good dozen or so people came and just helped us through it. It was so helpful. We didn't hire any company. We did it as a group of us. Practical things uh, that the body of Christ is doing for each other. Sharing time together, being available to others, and committing to meeting together regularly. Uh, let's look at practice number five. Sharing one another's needs and problems. Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens. So we just looked at sharing possessions and life, and that's one way of becoming vulnerable to others in community. But another way is to share our grief and our weakness. Share our weaknesses and receive love and support. See, we're sometimes quick to offer help, but not so quick to ask for it Or to open ourselves up as needy people. But Christians, we must understand here, by essence, by nature, we are needy people. What united us was an understanding of, without admitting my need for a saviour, I'm lost. I am needy. I need a saviour. And I've come unto the same saviour as you have. So we know we're needy people, right? So we need to admit we're needy people, open ourselves up. And if we're aware of our neediness, we can be much more comfort to those in need, much more use to those in need. We're coming alongside, therefore, aren't we? We're not coming over. Come alongside. Yeah, I'm needy as well. Let's look to Jesus together. We're also called to be willing to seek out people who are hurting and offer whatever support they need. The New Testament uses of the word encourage. When they talk about encouraging one another in the Greek, it means to come close, come alongside, to cheer on and support a person in a journey. It's the difference between standing at the side of the road uh, at a um, marathon or a race and cheering on, saying, well done, that's great, that's good encouragement. But a lot difference if you see someone really struggling to break through the barrier and come and get under their arm and lift them up and walk alongside with them. And there's something of that in the one-anothering of the encourage-one-another that we're called to. where it says carry in each other's burdens, if you literally picture that, you can't carry someone else's burden from a distance. You've got to come near. You've got to distribute the weight evenly. That means you've got to take on some of their burden. You've got to take on some of their pain, some of their responsibility. You might think, well, it's not my problem. They've got themselves into this fix. Yeah, that's right, I got myself into a right fix and Jesus came in and saved me. I'm a man of the gospel, so I'm going to replicate that. It wasn't his responsibility to save me, but he took it upon himself. And I want to replicate that. So we need to be people who are coming in and saying, let me take some of your burden. Let me carry it with you. Let me take some of your pain. What you're responsible for, I take some of the responsibility for now to help you. Can you think of a time when you have received that? I'm sure we can. We'll think of times when people have done that for us. What a difference it's made. See, moving house with someone is amazingly helpful. But what about when you've been near to making a terrible choice? Or you've been near to just giving up altogether? What about when you've been in emotional turmoil? To have someone else come alongside you in that moment and share the pain... Speak truth to a downcast heart. That can be life-changing. Life-changing. And we need to be a, a community who are saying, that this is sacrificial. This gets me off my sofa. This gets me out of my front door. But it is what I'm called to, and it's what I've been a res- recipient of in Christ, who was seated in, in heavenly places and got down and came and helped us. So we are a gospel people with all of these one another's. So we're called not to let others carry their burdens alone, but we're also called not to carry our burdens alone and to show, no, I, I'm needy as well. Practice six, sharing one another's beliefs, thinking, and spirituality. Colossians 3.16, teach and admonish one another. So this is about developing unity of mind and heart in the gospel. Ephesians 4 says, we're not blown here and there by every wind of teaching, Instead, speak the truth in love and we will see the whole body is joined together and held together. We're to be a, a, a priesthood of all believers, that we remind each other of the truth. This is one of our greatest gifts. This is one of our greatest gifts. And we are to be a people who come back to this with each other. I, I would pray, I, w- I will pray and I would love to see this church being a church when we say, shall we meet up for a drink, that we bring a Bible with us. And this is just something we do because we can talk and we can say, hey, it says this, let me encourage you in this. This is a gift to us. And we need to know it well to be able to share with each other. And say, I'm going to study it so I can actually speak the truth to somebody. I don't want to just speak my opinion And what I heard someone else say, I want to speak what I heard God say. This is how the Christian life is meant to be lived out, with brothers and sisters in the context of community, helping each other stand in the goodness of what Jesus has won for us, by pushing into a deeper understanding of it. The last three community-building practices are about serving one another. So we've looked at being friends, being family, and now being servants of one another. Practice seven, serving one another through accountability. James 5.16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. So this is about helping each other stand in the goodness of the gospel, as we've just said. We're allowing ourselves to become accountable to others. That's what I just said as well about recognizing neediness. Saying, I know I need brothers and sisters' help. I know I'm running a very difficult race. I would love to be helped And I want to be accountable to others in that. So it does call for us to be vulnerable and trusting. And it does mean something that we may not do very often. It means talking about sin. We must talk about sin. Christian brothers and sisters, we must talk about sin. We mustn't just pretend that's something that's off limits. That's between me and God. Or God's called you into community for a reason. Sin is what the enemy wants to use to take you out of the race completely. So, so talking to brothers and sisters vulnerably, if we're all honest, no one's going to say, you what? And say, yes, I know what it's like to face temptation. Even Jesus is sympathetic, it says in Hebrews 4, I think. He is sympathetic because he's been through all temptation, yet was without sin. And so we want to be a people who know what it is to be sympathetic, but helping each other hold to accountability. Admitting where we've given in to sin and looking to Christian community to help us overcome. Having trusted friends who are regularly accountable to for areas of behavior that are especially difficult or where self-deception is particularly easy. Things like if you're a bit of a workaholic, but you know working hard is godly. You just think, I could be easily deceived here. I need to be accountable for my work-rest balance. I need friends to help me. What about money? If you just, you know that money is a very personal thing. I'm trying to use it well and I just need to be accountable to people for that. And I'm sure you know very personal things yourself. Now this one, I mean all of these, but this one particularly can be a vulnerable thing. It takes humility and it shows a determination to grow Christ-like. A lot of trust in others to listen when confronted. Very uh, trivial uh, uh, illustration. This week I said to my wife, I just watched uh, an episode of something on TV and I just thought, that was, that was rubbish and it wasn't godly. And uh, it wasn't terrible, don't worry. But it wasn't, it wasn't good for my soul. And so I said to my wife, I don't want to watch that anymore. Will, you, will I just be accountable to you for that? Because my thing is I could just drift into, well, nothing else is on and that was a bit funny, so I'll watch it. No, I don't want to do that. And so now... We've got a relationship here where I've asked my wife if I can be accountable to her. What if she sees me watching it?" And she says, "Hey, you said you didn't want it. What's going to happen then? Am I? Both of us are being vulnerable in that moment. I've asked her to keep me accountable. Now she's doing that work. This hasn't happened yet, by the way, and I hope it won't happen um, about this thing. It has happened other things. Anyway, um, And what if she would say and I were to say, "Hey, I'll do what I want. It's not that serious, OK? then suddenly she's being rejected when she's trying to love me. I've got to be vulnerable enough to realize someone keeping me accountable is trying to love me, even though they're confronting something. And there's got to be something of that vulnerability and trust in the community of God. When someone comes with a challenge, hey, this is not me against you, this is us together against an enemy that wants to come and kill and steal and destroy it's not me against you. So there's got to be a vulnerable trust. And I'm sure many of us have got trust issues because we've been let down in the past. It's very easy to think, no, there's no I know what you're really like. But we've got to be pioneering in these things. That means not waiting for others, but saying, "How hey, I will push forward in this. I will try to be obedient to God in this. Believing that the person confronting you is loving you Is very important if we're going to grow in accountability. Just make a side note here: if you're a person who loves confrontation and you love to confront people and challenge them, just be very careful here. It's not talking about saying people who like to beat people up. This is your verse. This is what you go with. No, if that's you know you're prone to be someone who likes to be a bit judgmental and tell people where they've got things wrong, I'd really encourage you get brothers and sisters with you before you confront. Brothers and sisters that know the other person, if there's any confrontation, if there's any accountability, and do it in a loving way. Looking forward to challenging someone is probably not a healthy start. If you're quite nervous, you know you're doing it out of love and obedience to God, not because you want to tell them where they got it wrong. Bonhoeffer wrote this, a man who confesses his sins in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone with himself. He experiences the presence of God in the reality of the other person. So we are called to be sharing with each other and serving one another through accountability. Practice number eight, serving one another through forgiveness and reconciliation. Ephesians four two: be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another, in love and other verses there on forgiveness and not provoking or slandering, Christians in community, we are never to give up on one another we 're never to give up on it 's a long race it 's a long way, and we 're called to run together it 's it's it's to be a joyful thing with one another, and so we don 't give up on each other, we lift each other up we don 't tire of working at relationships, forgiving, repairing. Listening, understanding, bearing with, overlooking offences. Jesus says in Matthew that we should work on reconciliation if we know that a brother or sister has a problem with us. And he also says you should work at reconciliation if you have a problem with a brother or sister. The onus he also always puts on the individual to say, you take the first step. this is a very helpful phrase that I've heard this summed up as, is lean in. Lean in. When the, when it's so tempting to think, that just makes me want to walk away. That just makes me want to keep my distance. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't like it. The Christian way is to be leaning in. And consistently leaning in. It's much more easy to think of sort of throwing a grenade and running. Uh, I had to confront, or I have to uh, do something vulnerable, and I'll do it, but then I'll go and I'll just... Just hopefully, never know what happens. And I, I've been in conversation with people in church and in family over recent weeks where, you know, painful things that people had to say to somebody, that really hurt my feelings. I don't think that was right. And, uh, and then sort of the, the reality of it being that there wasn't really another conversation for months after that. You know, the breakdown of relationship. And that's so easy. You think, I kind of did what I was supposed to do. I confronted I really are, this is such a courageous thing, but in Christ it's possible. Don't wait for weeks and months for the next conversation. If you ever have to uh, just encourage with a challenge, go to the person a few days later say, how, how are we doing? How are we? Are we okay? That wasn't, a, you know, I'm trying to love you and I'm sorry if it came across whatever way. Please trust me. There's a, there's a consistency that God calls us to lean in. Jesus says, uh, confront humbly, seek restitution, and continue in that direction consistently. It's not necessarily here about what we are owed. Okay, So if you, are, if you fall into that trap of thinking, I got really offended, and I'm owed an apology. Now you, you need to tread very carefully as a Christian when you start talking about what you're owed. Because our whole life has rejected what we are owed in grateful um, reception of grace. I'm not owed a very good thing in and of my flesh. I'm owed an eternal separation from God. That's what I deserve. But in his love and in his mercy, he has reconciled me. So when I start saying, hey, I'm owed owed an apology here. I'm offended. Just remember, that's not who we are by essence. And so we, it's not about that. It's about saying, no, there's a, the, the enemy is trying to bring divisiveness and division into the church. He's trying to break up Christian community. Let's work together to confront that. So do confront, but not for the sake of winning an argument, rather to kill the enemy's attempts to bring delusion and discouragement and scars that could go on affecting others. So a Christian is, is also, as we said, never never called to wait for the other person to take the first step to repair a broken relationship. We're called to be responsible to begin the process of reconciliation. That takes courage and a lot of humility. I've heard it said if, you're, if you know the other person is 99% wrong and you're 1% wrong, still be the first person to take the initiative and apologize. That takes a lot of humility. And then when you apologize, don't say you got anything to say to me? Just apologize if you need to do that. Practice nine, serving one another's interests rather than our own. Hebrews ten twenty four: spur one another on towards love and good deeds. So this is a general mindset of putting the needs and interests of others in the community ahead of your own. It's to be a servant, to look deliberately for the needs around you of all sorts and finding ways to meet them through loving deeds, not seeking recognition, but just for the sake of that person. Just for the sake, just thinking, what do they need for themselves? I'll try and help meet that need. So we don't just join a church community, those members that join today. We don't just join to take advantage of what we could get. We we give ourselves to the advantage of others. Tim Keller helpfully says this, In Christ, we should not be so proud that we believe we don't need community, nor so needy that we exploit others in the community. Finally, the power behind all of these, in summary of all of them, and I think maybe the one I haven't actually quoted, is that we love one another. To make sure that our community is done authentically, to make sure it bears fruit, we must obey this repeated phrase, love one another. We're to love one another deeply from the heart. And hopefully, as you've heard throughout, this comes from the experience of having been loved. We are a gospel people. We need to be prepared to be pioneers in this. Are you prepared to be a pioneer in this? Or are you somebody who say, is anyone else standing up here? Anyone, no one else? Okay, I'll sit down. No, I'm going to stand and I'm going I'm to be a pioneer in this. Regardless of others alongside me, I am going to love the way I'm called to. I've, been, I've experienced such love from Jesus. I will do this. Not waiting for others to take the lead. We need to be prepared to do this because it's what Jesus has won for us. What he's called us to do, not because it promises results. So you may be rejected. You will be rejected. When you're trying to do the nicest thing, the kindest thing. When you're trying to humble yourself and you're the 1% wrong. And the other person is the 99% wrong. And you say, hey, I'm really sorry. And they say, yeah, you should be. And you think, oh, that will happen. Keep going forward. Keep trusting him because it's not for them, it's for him. It's for the love that we've received. We say, oh, Jesus, if, if I know a little bit of that rejection, when I was a little bit wrong, what, what must it have been like to be you? To not know any, he was 0% wrong. And yet laid his life down. What must it be like to be him and, and set your face like flint towards the cross? Say, I will do it because I will have a people for myself. They'll be mine and I'll be theirs. He won us with such a love. That's the love that we are called to share with each other. That's why we do all of this. We've been loved with an everlasting love, completely undeserved. Not just unconditional, but contra-conditional. Let me read you this quote from David Powlison. God doesn't accept me just as I am. He loves me despite how I am. He loves me just as Jesus is. He loves me enough to devote my life to renewing me in the image of Jesus. This love is much, much, much better than unconditional. It's contra-conditional. Contrary to the conditions for knowing God's blessing, he's blessed me because of his son fulfilling the conditions. Contrary to my due, he loves me. And now I can begin to change, not to earn love, but because of love. This is what it's all about for us. We are a gospel people and we have been one to become a gospel people together. Sharing in this love together because every single one of the one and others that I've read and we've looked at, every single one of them could have a little asterisk that says, because of the gospel, love one another because of the gospel. Serve one another because of the gospel. Admonish one another because of the gospel. This is what Jesus has won for you. This is what he's created. This is what he's ushering in. New society. New church. We're to show the world what the new earth will be like. It's all possible because of the gospel. It's all motivated by the gospel. It's all reflecting the gospel. And it is for the sake of proclaiming the gospel to one another and to the world around us. To be a gospel people. So finally, just to ask you, what is next for you? We're just rolling out our new term here in terms of life groups. What's next for you? Well, first of all, join a life group. Get into the community. Be committed to it. I would really ask you here, sign up to a group and make it a priority to get there. Not just when it's easy, when you're in the mood, when you happen to be in that part of town. No, make it a priority. Move other things around to get to a group. And when you're there, don't, be the, uh, don't just be sort of the person who is the last to arrive, the first to leave. Try to get to know each other. Try to do whatever God maybe put his finger on today for you. Maybe you're someone you think, ah, there's a bit of forgiveness so I need to work on there. Maybe long term. Maybe there's uh, uh, looking out for others I'm not very good at. I'm... A, Quite taken up in myself. Perhaps there's a sharing of someone else's pain. You know someone's going through something difficult. And you just think, I can can do something about that. I can sit with them. I won't have all the answers. But I can be with them. I just encourage you, take a step forward. Take a step forward in this. And as a church, we will take a step forward. Because we are in a period of growth. And it can't just be about more people coming into these walls. It's got to be in here. We're growing in heart together. God has got great things for us. city on a hill. A city on a hill that others might look and say, that's a different society. That's different. That's a different people group. And we want it to be beautiful because he's worthy. Let me just ask you to stand and I'll pray and we'll just uh, respond to this love. Father, we thank you for this incredible society, this incredible family. That you've begun the firstborn, Jesus, the big brother who's called us in, the father who's adopted us. We thank you, you sent the spirit as a a confirmation of our future. Lord, we just thank you so much for this incredible mercy, this love we've received. And I do pray, help it to touch us in the depths of our hearts where things are still in there that you say, that's not all I've got for you. Help us as a community to step more into Christ-like beauty. To look more like Jesus. For your glory, Lord. You're worthy. And for the sake of our joy. And our health. And life in abundance. The enemy might have come to steal, steal, kill and destroy. You've come that we may have life. And life in all its fullness. So we want to trust you with that. I pray where we've talked today about stuff that takes a lot of courage. A lot of humility. Maybe some taking on of debts where someone else does owe us an apology and we just say okay i wipe that debt i take it on myself just as jesus took on himself lord let us do the courageous thing today in the power of the spirit in jesus name all god's people said amen amen thank you for listening to audio from hope church hipswich please feel free to make a copy of this content but please do not edit the content in any way